Right, so Dale with a man that needs very little introduction. Harry Finley, thanks very much. Harry has taken quite a long time to track you down and uh, eventually get this going. So thanks very much for agreeing to, uh, to talk to us. Now, I would say that you are probably the worst nightmare of the safer gambling lobby. The amount of times you've been down and nearly out, you've always managed to bounce back when other people would have gone skint. Now, what's your secret? Oh, um, good friends, really, and uh, staying alive. But no, I, I do feel that uh, sometimes I'm a bit of a bad advert for people. Not a bad advert. I, some of the, how I talk about gambling so well and as if it's a great thing all the time, as if I... You know, I've always, even going back when I was really young, I always took the blame for anyone else betting. If anyone there was lads three or four years old than me in the local town would be punting and they, <laughs> I got the blame for all of it. So that's never going to change. But I, I do think that, um, you know, I do, I do think that uh, I do fly closer to the wind than most sort of what you call pro punters would dare do in my style of punting. Not so much these days, but... Um, no, it's, uh, I wouldn't say I'd be top of their list. Now, you talk about these days because going back a, a, well, a decade or so ago, you were extremely high profile on the telly all the time. You've sort of, you've, you've gone undercover a bit recently. What have you been up to? Uh, well, it was, the, the racing thing was really, really made it down to Denman. And it was, you know, the, literally, the, the, Paul Barr was such a good guy that... Uh, when mom, I got the chance, when mum was retired, to get a couple of horses with him uh, in her name, it, it, that was the plan. And they, they went racing again. And my brother was, I've never driven my brother drives, and he'd take my mum racing. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't by design, really. Just that the third, I think the third or fourth horse we bought was Denman. And of course, that, that, was, that was the reason why, why that became high profile. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, don't, don't, I'm not disappointed about that because of the, the route we took with the Hennessy and, in hindsight and you know um for so many reasons um i'm glad that's how it turned out but uh, it wasn't by choice yeah it famously ended up not great which we'll talk about later on with the with the racing and your connections with it but what do you what do you punt on that i assume you're still punting oh i i couldn't live without punting um it's been great during lockdown betting on the aussie dogs but uh even I mean, even that's drawing to a close because the markets have changed so much now, whereas, you know, for 20, 30 years, getting money out of short price dogs in Australia was literally, to coin a phrase, like finding it on the floor. And this last 12 months, I've been studying and watching every race, watching every video, and, I've been, and I'm not even making it pay. And I've, it breaks my heart to say so, but I just know that the computers are doing the same as I'm doing. And it's the same, it was the same with tennis 10 years ago, and it's the same with all the short price punting. It's... Um, the horses are just incredible. I just, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, you know, compare the prices. I mean, a race the other day where a horse got, he got beat funny enough, and Willie Mullins first time out, Kilcrew, 14 to one on SP. And in the olden days, 20 years, 10% tax on course in Ireland, it's guaranteed that Kilcrew would have been a four on chance. It's just, there's just no doubt. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Australian dogs there because I, I know for a fact that a couple of other dog shrewdies have been targeting the Australians. So, so are they a bit late to the... Uh, no, no, they're not the at all. They're, they're, no, they're, they're shrewd. I, I can imagine who they are. And they'd be shrewdies who are betting... They won't be betting the skinny ones. Uh, that's my preferred style of choice on the dogs. And it's not there. But that, that won't be their style of dogs. They'll be looking for four to one chances or pricing up a card and betting where the value is. And uh, no, they're... they're 
they'll, they'll, they've, they've got every chance because they'll be taking on a certain algorithm themselves, but their their own opinion will be, will be good enough. And you know, um, during the lockdown, I was working with Paul Lawrence, who's a great. Um, he's done an interview with you and great dodgers, and we're putting our heads together. So literally, if I fancied one, I'd text Paul and he'd study it and look at it and check it out. Um, and Paul's more of a sectional man, so I'd, it, it, like, and he, if I ever fancied any dog over two bends in Australia, the big two bends, which is like the races are, I'd always ring Paul and say, uh, who would you, you know, I fancy this dog, what do you think of it? And he'd text back and say, not for me, or yeah, I'm backing it as well, and then I'd double mistake. Okay, so what, what are you winning on these days? What, what's your main... Oh, just the, the horses, the horses and Glen really, and I, I've started myself, you know, we'll come to it later, but with, with the tote again. Suddenly I can bet on jackpots in the last week I've had, um, the last week I had five, five days out of seven last week I played on the UK jackpot. There was a good rollover. And even when it's won, they, they put up 10 grand the next day. So, and you can pay for pennies now. I know that sounds small, but the thing is, the 50p minimum stake as it used to be, you, you know, it was only a 10 grand pot, you can't play it. But now you can play for pennies on, on, the, on the Tote website and it's, it's fantastic value. So, and I, of all, you know, I mainly bet to, for, for enjoyment. I love the buzzer back in the winner and, and getting a kick out of back in the winner. And for me, um, jackpots just do it for me. They always have. The scoop sixes was the, the most exciting part of my gambling life. The, I like the, some people like doing Sudoku. I'm useless at Sudoku. Crosswords, I can't even answer a clue. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna to find out now. I'm going to try and find out now if I can get on about the American jackpots. Because I do like, I've just in... Since since the tote's changed and it's in new hands, I've started doing it again, and I realise it's it's my it's my favourite thing. And so many punters out there, it's a great way to teach yourself, you know, the small for small stakes. And um, as it stands, there's, there's plenty of value. Little rollovers, you know, there's a trifecta rollover every set. Whenever during the week now, there's no trifectas one. So every Saturday, there's like a few grand in the trifecta. And if it's say there's not that much more going in, it's just more much more value than. Everyone's got to try and win, and that's to me. There's, there's not a lot of value in in the things I do. The things I've done throughout my life, betting the short price, has completely gone in in the last ten years on every level, in every sport, in every way. Um, and um, you, you have to you, you have to you have to bet where the value is, and with the with the with the new things it, that, that that to me, all Betfair punters now have got two percent, which is what I've argued for for ten for ten years. Everyone, of course, thinks I get, you know, I'm an ambassador for Betfair, I work for Betfair, but that was never true. It was just a case of, you know, people ask where you play and what you do. And for me now, it's, it literally is, it's all, it's all, it's still, it used to be all Betfair, now it's all Betfair or Tote. And, um, and, and we try and get on the odd, the odd fixed odd stuff, but with the dogs you can't get on and the rest of it, small anti-post. I think anti-post, I've always been in love with anti-post punting and uh, always will be. And uh, I think that's that's another place where there's still still value. Do you think that fair has caused the the no value in the short ones? Is it because it's so accurate? No, not just that. No, no, far from it. I think that I think that human week. I, I think that ninety nine percent of human beings wouldn't bet four on a ten on chance. And that's you know that's and that that to me was a massive advantage throughout, throughout life. But now all the markets are made by bots, algos, and computers. And they've got no humanity whatsoever. They wouldn't, you know, that, and, you, you know, they won't care. So, no, I think that's just a, that's a small... Betfair has got a lot to do with most of the markets, but in terms of... If there was no Betfair, I still think the skinny ones 
would be miles skinnier than what, than what they used to be. Okay, and you've, one of your quotes is that to win at gambling, you've, you've got to be able to adapt. Now, you know, you've just said that there's stuff that you used to win on that you can't win on anymore. Yeah. So how, how are you always keeping your eye on the next opportunity? Do they, have you got like a, a sixth sense for finding them or do you have to work hard at looking yeah, for Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm lucky because I'm an old guy now and I've got loads of contacts in most sports and you can, you know, you, we adapted on, I'd done Belarusian football on my own and Glenn got some Swedish mates to give us a, the odd tip on the, on, the, on the trots when there was nothing going on for that blank three, three, three months. But um, no, you've always got to, um, I'm a gambler, so it's, I'm, a, I'm an odds, I'm a probability man. I'm not any good at other, any other kind of math. I'm just a probability man. So I think I can adapt, adapt to anything, but like I've never ever learned to play cards because I, I know it wouldn't suit me, you know. If I, if I was ever playing cards in Vegas and anyone dealt me four aces, it, there'd be no chance of me keeping a smile off my face. <laughs> it couldn't happen. And I remember Guy Sangster, well, you can't believe it, Guy Sangster took me to, uh, he's got, he had a pub, and he said, oh, there's a Tony McCoy and all the lads and people from Ladbrokes, it's a charity thing, poker. Anyway, I said, no, no, no. I said, I, 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 I said you ain't to believe it, I can't play poker. And I can't. So anyway, la di da di da 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 anyway, yeah. Uh, He's t taught me to come in, someone else said, anyway, I said, all right, I'll come. So anyway, there's three tables playing, knockout. And there's a girl from Labrooks, the girl from Labrooks on the side say, professional poker player. And there was all these, like half a dozen pros. Da, 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 da. Anyway, I was sitting next to her, the odds to the, to the croupier. And I told him when I sat down, I said, listen, I ain't, I ain't played before. I said, you won't believe it. Anyway, we've had about five, five or six pints of Wadsworth 6X, lovely pint, before we started. Anyway. Cut a long story short, he's half saying, Mark him a card, I've ended up winning it. Oh my word. One guy put one guy said to me, I was winding everyone up, I was winding up the Labrooks girls, that's professional. I had a big pile of chips like this. One guy, one of the work riding guys, real nice guy, said he said he told he said, pick a window. <laughs> he said, pick a window, he said, because I'm about to throw you through it. Anyway, I ended up winning the tournament. I, went, I ended up, woke up pissed the next morning, 1,700 quid. And then Guy said to me, he said, everyone, he said, I told them all you've never played poker before and then you've only gone and won it. I got a glass trophy, but it was the worst thing I ever won. But no, um, so, it, that, so no, I, I, I think you've got, you got, you got to play to your strengths. And, uh, and despite that win, poker wouldn't be one that I'd be any good at. So how many edges do you reckon that you've had come and go in your career? Edges? Yeah. Well, where, you, where you're betting with a definite edge? Yeah. Well, I've, I've never, when you were young, you had to get on. And you had to be, you know, I had to, my personality wasn't always quite as it really was in a lot of ways. And always from day one, I've always wanted to have shrewd people around me and all be pissing in the same pot. That's my, I always want to know what other people think. If I wake up and I want to have 800 pound on horse, and I'll ring up three people and they all fancy it, I'll have 1,600 quid on it. If I want to have 800 pound on horse and I'll ring up three people and they're not backing it or they're laying it, I'm not having nothing on it. <laughs> and so that was the same when I was 16. I'd always want to be around shrewd people and, you know, and other people, that's effectively what, how the algorithms, how the, the Benhams and the Tony Blooms work with more and more and more and more and more. And, um, you know, you know, and, um, that, that, so that's if I was a, if I was a young team starting out, I'd be looking to have four or five. Always have as many opinions as you can, 
Yeah. And uh, that's that's so important. The guys who want to do it are on their own. That's a very, very hard trick. Right, that's and interesting. That, and nowadays, well, it goes without saying, and you know, it goes without saying. And that was, that was, that was um, all the top people's advice. But anyone, you know, you you want to get as many good opinions as you can. My my best young pal as a, as a teenager was Ray Swain, and he was ten times a better judge of horse than me. The best point to point judge for miles around, but he. He always, if other people fancied the same horse as him, it give him the ump, and that's why he couldn't win. Okay, so would you would you say then that nearly most of your bets are you've, you've sort of consulted other people, or is there ever ever anything that you come up with on your own and you just think well, I know this? Well, well, to be fair, football is all on my own, and that's the main thing I bet on. But I'm just I'm just generalising, and even the football now, it's there's so many, everything's so much against me. All the new rules, the pace of the game, the late goals. You know, so I'm, I'm fading that out. That's you know, my my reason for my reason for for being going back towards jackpots and tote betting so much is not just because how good it is. It's because the football for me, you know, you can't change your habits of a lifetime. Okay. And uh, I've been an unders man and a nil nil man and a no late goals man since the beginning of time. And uh, you know, I, although I still watch and love the football. I, you know, it's, um, it's it's not a big winner for me at the moment. Okay, when you, you go to have a bet on the football, is have you got like a form book in your head? Do you know certain teams, or do you have to sit down there and crunch numbers and work No, I watched watch the first half of Atletico, Atletico last night and uh, against Porto, and all I did was watch Porto battle them. And I just kept having more on Porto, draw no bet. And at half-time, I text all my mates and says, Porto, draw no bet, lump on. And uh, half an hour later, Atletico with three 0 up. So that's basically it. Um, I like I play in running now because with all the syndicates getting team news and information, I'm not going to take them on. I work on my own. So it's just a case of watching a match. I normally bet outsiders in run. Normally, normally that was one where it was each a two draw no bet. Porto were favourites, but um, that's all, you know. So that's what can happen. But that's the sort of thing I do now. My own opinion, watching a game. Um, I'll, I'll take one team against another and normally I'm laying a favourite normally now I'm, I'll, they're too short in the market the, the favourites quite often so I'd, I'd maybe lay, lay the favourite at more and bet the outsider or take the Asian handicap option but on Betfair the, the win market's uh, is easier to play so that's, that's mainly how I do it and that and football I do completely on my own because there's no point asking anyone else because as I say 99% of it is in running or anti-post Right, it's interesting that you said in the first part that you like to consult as many, you know, surround yourself with clever people before you have a bet. Um, is, is, you know, is the, the combination of a good gambler, somebody that knows when, you know, when to bet, and the shrewdies, is that a good combination that works? Different style of punters, definitely. I mean, if you go, if you look in my book, what we'll, what we'll be doing at Lifford, the, the seven um, different guys with the prices at Coventry, and they were they, they were so different, and and that, the, so the more different styles you've got, and I and knowing the knowing most of them for a while, you know their different styles and their traits. So literally, you know you could you could price around that, and certain people that you know love a skinny one that never. Certain, like it's like I said to Christian the German when he worked with Tony Bloom, they always I'm an unders man, and they were always overs. They never ever ever bet. They never ever bet the unders. And I said to Christian, just do me one thing, because German football was hard to get on at the time and you're picking your bets. I said, just ring me 
when you bet the unders. I said, when you have, when you have an unders bet, I said, ring me. And three times a year, unders bets, and uh, five out of six for sure won. So that's just a, a little example of how, when people bet, you know, knowing how, knowing what people, how people bet and what their strengths are, and, and leveling that up, which is the same thing as what you're saying, a different style into the algorithm is, is perfect. And yeah. I, I, that's exactly how I thought that commentary algorithm was. And, you know, the most of it got two of the guys in the algorithm were on the same pitch at the track and didn't even know it. But and their prices were completely individual. And if you could get a set of prices like that for everything, like the snooker, the snooker was myself and a panel and, and, and Phil Yates, it was, Phil Yates was the best snooker journalist and best snooker judge. And he wasn't a gambler, but he'd just literally go through every match and price up out of a hundred what he thought both matches were. So when I was doing the snooker, basically it was the, it was the three prices, exactly the same as when Tony Bloom started doing the Asian handicap. It was me, Tommy and Lizard, and he'd go in the middle. So literally, you only need three to, people to out with them. If you've got three real solid nuts, that's, you know, that's, just, that is, that's, that's, that's all you need. And, and, and that's, that's basically, if you, if you could get three different styles and know, know where their strengths and weaknesses were, that makes it even stronger. Now, you've been, you've been betting all your life. So are the people that you can sell, people that you've sort of gathered along the way or do people contact you or do you spot somebody whose opinion you really, you know, sort of value and contact them? Is it, or is it something that builds or is it a team you've got and had for a long time? How does it work? Um, luck really I suppose especially nowadays because most of the betting is on the most of the profits on the horses and I I bumped into Glenn I knew Glenn from Portsmouth days and uh, but I've always been a judge of judges I think I think I've I've always managed to you know and I've always embraced other judges I've always sort of wanted I've wanted them under my umbrella sort of as soon as I can really and I've uh, that's always you know I wouldn't be shy to ask someone for their phone number if I thought they were a a winner and I've always I've, I think I've always had more respect for other punters than most punters have a lot, lot of punters that win don't have that much respect for other punters whereas I think I've always had that respect and always wanted to know what they think and, 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 and get them on the tissue <laughs> yeah now I'm assuming that you um, that you don't have loads of bookmakers accounts anymore so how do you get you know what's your main way of getting on uh, no I tried it, like everyone with the compliance thing because I'd like to mainly for anti-post stuff really but uh, I've got a couple of guys who get me on small with them but it used to all be Betfair and now it's all Betfair and the tote because as I say I, it, is, it is jackpots and rollovers that I, that, I, that I love doing and with the horses now on the tote they're betting the six six percent so sometimes you you know you can bet the bet on bet on Betfair on the horse and have both so I have, I have, I have a split screen and, and, and play Betfair and tote and the odd anti-post bets I try and get on but I won Max Verstappen was my was my clue this year, and it's uh, it's taken over my life. I've watched every. I've always. I used to love the Grand Prix as a kid because there was nothing else on a Sunday. There was no horse racing and no football. So I used to study the Grand Prix massively as a kid, as a youngster. And this year, I've, I've just been obsessed with Hamilton and uh, and, and Verstappen. And um, and uh, I think it's gone a bit sour. I think the sport sold itself going to Saudi Arabia, and I thought that was a horrific watch on. Sunday, I didn't like any of it, and compared with the rest of the season, and I thought that the 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 the, the qualifying lap of Max Verstappen on Saturday, I watched it with Jamie Hart over in Dublin, and I just I've just never seen anything like it. That is as close to being on the edge in sport I've ever seen in my life. Okay, I just want to talk about um, you know bookmakers these days. Even if you 
you win a bet, you can't get your bets on. So they're, they're generally trying to flush out guys like you that, that make it pay. Do you think with all these affordability checks and all the rest of it that it's going to be harder and harder for people like you to carry on with your careers? Well, I think the fixed odds, yes, I do. And um, to be fair, the one bad thing about the tote is you have to go through all that stuff as well. But for me, I, I think I think the way the, the, the bookmakers go, I think all this uh, build a bet and all this hackers and all this, everything they advise you to do is bad advice. If you if you get to the Ray Winston stuff, it's next goal score of 14 to one, correct score. I mean, build a bet is filth. So I think that the new, I think, like in education, I think there's been the last 20 years, the education system has just been taken over by, I've said, I've said it for 20 years, and I think that the next generation are going to are going to be a bit more clever and a bit wise. And I think punting's going to go through that where people are more understanding of the odds and the math. And I think that the I think that um, there's going to be a big change. And I, I, I sincerely hope that the total are the main benefactors for it. But that's how, that's how I see it going, basically, with the, the, the one big exchange and, and, and a total account with, with, with on a level playing field. Whereas before, one, one big rebate, it was getting a massive rebate and no one else could win. Now it is a complete another level playing field with all the rebaters getting a maximum 11% and all the man in the street getting 10%. If you just put fifty, if you just put two pound in, if you just invest two pound on the scoop six now, you get ten percent bonus, and the rebaters are going only getting eleven. So from in the space of one year, it's gone from being the worst bet in the world to the best. And I think that I think the race courses and horse racing needs a fresh market. I think it's crying out for it. The industry SP has been everyone's been trying to find out the new SP, and I think that's what it will be. I think it'll be like the Australian model. And, um, and and that, that, that so that's that's how I, I and I think more than ever horse racing needs another market because the Betfair market completely and utterly slaughters the what is called the industry SP which is garbage. So I think twelve months from now you'll have the industry you'll have the Betfair market and the tote and the tote will be the tote will find a way of oh, they're betting to very low percentages now but to actually show it to actually have the SPs with a low margin like we're going to do at Lifford everything there will be ten percent on course. And SPs, and I think that's what will happen. Hopefully for horse racing in Britain, and hopefully the betting market. Okay, now I want to take you back to the. You mentioned the, the total. You mentioned the scoop six. Now we never met before today, but we nearly came close because what, what, one of the syndicates I was in collaborated with you. Unfortunately, Air Force One got beat, but Remember you were race. a massive, massive scoop six player, and the scoop six was real big for racing because when Agnes had it, won it, it was on the front page of the tablet. So what happened in the Scoop 6 and why, you know, uh, do you still play it? Well, I am again now, I will again now. Uh, the Scoop 6, um, the tote in the hands of, in the hands of Bet Fred and Phil Sears with one big shark, as I, again I wrote about in the book, getting massive rebate, no one else could win and no one else was playing it. But as I say, that's changed now. But it's taken such a bashing. It went off the TV first. That was a, that was a that was a big thing. It went off the TV, and then and then of course with 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 the re, with the rebate unbalance, um, it, it just become impossible to play. But now it's a level playing field again. I do think that um, it, it will it will it will regenerate again. I do think it will be um, it will be a, it will be a big success. But like I say, with the problem with the scoop six was. If the big rebate who was getting the rebate, he was also guaranteed of the place dividend, you see, and that gave the, 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 the big shark far, far too much of an advantage. And 
although we haven't had a big rollover for a while, same as the jackpots, the fact that there's so much less toxic money in the pool and more gradually, week by week, there's less of that toxic money and more of the normal money returning and they just need the right results and a good run. But um, ultimately, you know, I, I do think that um, it, 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 will, it will make some kind of return. But it was the best, the best gambling time of my life was with the Scoop Six and doing the, the rollovers was, was just great fun. And every time we collaborated, we always won it. And, um, and every single time, not only did we win it, but the other people that won wouldn't have done once there was 17 of us at Utoxa. And we all pulled together and none of us would have got it if we hadn't teamed up. And the other eight guys who didn't, none of them got it. And we had the maximum share out. And um, that, was, that, that was a special day. And that was thanks to Jim Kremin's wife, Mary, at the tote. She was a fantastic woman for putting it together. The only person we had any problem with was him, um, Veach, Patrick Veach. He wanted to come in once. So I said, yeah, no problem, come in. And never, 13 times we collaborated. And never once did we sign any contracts. Never once did we have anyone who was worried about the payment or whatever. I think the last one, the Scottish Greenkeeper got 700 grand and had to carve it all up. But no, Patrick Veach turned up at Wimbledon with a briefcase and signed this and signed that and signed that. I said, leave me out, Patrick. I said, you're on your own. I said, no need for that. I said, and really looking back on it, you know, not a lot of normal people would have been like Veach, but it just goes to show that the word of gamblers is, you know, is different class. And um, so, I, I, yeah, if I, I, that was a part of my gambling time with the Scoop Six. I would, you know, of all the bets, I would like to make a, make a comeback with the tote. I, 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 the Scoop Six was my favourite. And how many times you with it? Do you even know? Oh, quite, quite a lot. But I mean, the, 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 the amazing story is, if you read my book, I was so lucky that time, the day, the weekend Concord thing, it was so stressed out. It was one time in my life where I, I knew I'd blatantly overstaked. I knew I should have laid out 120 and I laid out 180 because I couldn't cope with the brain damage if I missed it. And the right thing to do was definitely lay out the 120. And if I had a done, I think the Scoop 6 would have sent me skin. The Scoop 6 sent a lot of people skin. Don't worry about that. Because a lot of us, and don't forget at the end, a lot of us didn't know just how much rebate the big old shark he was getting. And we were all playing the wrong math. And it sent a lot of people's skin. And I think if I'd have overstaked that day in, um, in, in, in Italy, in Amalfi, I think that uh, I might have, I might have be, been one of them as well. So you, you've always got to remember your lucky breaks. And that was, a, that was a lucky break for me on that Scoop 6. Because after that, I never won it for a real, real long time. And um, it, that's where a lot of people got, got damaged with it. But um, now it's back to a level playing field, I'm sure it will make uh, a big comeback. Okay, Harry, now you mentioned your book a couple of times, and somebody gets mentioned more than a couple of times, and it is your mate, Glenn. Um, can you go a bit more in depth about Glenn and his background and your friendship, how it's endured over the years, and what you, you know, how you sort of collaborate? Well, Glenn's background's pretty simple. He, um, he left school at 16, and he went to work with his dad as a painter and decorator for, I think it was a week or 10 days, and that was it. He went racing every day, and... Uh, drove his old car around and he, he, he used to literally go, there wasn't no Sundays, but six days a week, he'd drive to Stratford or Exeter or Taunton, whatever the nearest race course to, to, to where he lived in Fairham with his mum and dad, um, that, that's where he went. So I bumped into one of the race course and, he, you know, I was, I was, 
looking back on it, when we talk about pissing in the pot, I, I used to drive everyone mad at the races. I mean, Steve Mellish was good mates with Glenn, and you know, we'd, there'd be five or six good judges that every day I'd go racing. He'd go 25 years ago, I'd be asking Steve Mellish and Glenn, and um, we'd get, then we'd go in the ring, and Kenny Patterson would be there. Everyone, all the people that still go racing now, they were all doing it 25 years ago. And in those days, there was less. You know, it was easy. There's more mistakes, and it was easier to win a few quid, no doubt. But I cottoned onto Glenn very early, and uh, and I always described him as the, as the, you know, Glenn's a shy lad, and Glenn doesn't really not shy, but he don't. He's a quiet sort of lad, and I'd always think, "Dude, this is Glenn, the greatest horse judge in the world." And uh, you know, and I, I was right, and um, so that that's just that was just more luck than anything else. But we've been together ever since, and I don't do that. I've never done this for the last. 15 years, I'd just do what I'm told. He would just literally ring me and say, we're having this on this, this on that, and that on that, which is fantastic for me because I was never I was never that good a horse judge anyway. I fancy my own, I'd have a very strong opinion maybe four or five times a year. I'd normally be right. I was quite good at novice chases. Uh, I went a lot of horse racing myself as a youngster, but I wouldn't be good enough to, 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 to day on day to make. I wouldn't be able to price up a horse and say, this should be nine or four and it's four, no. I'd just be good at what I am in most things, spotting the superstars and getting on anti-post and stuff like that. And now and again, being right about an obvious chaser. But, um, um, you know, that, that's, that was my limit. So I very quickly catched on to Glenn and, and like, I'll just do what he says and that's it really. Okay, now you've, um, you told me on the phone when we were talking yesterday, a wonderful story about the two superstars of the turf. Do you want to tell us that so everybody can Oh, well, it? I don't know about that. I mean, well, no, they were, they were, they were, uh, we were talking, what it was, you were talking about the, um, being a, me being synonymous with short odds, big odds on punning, and I was, and um, was, for, was for 20 odd years, but that game's completely gone. And I, I, I said to you, when it was completely gone, it was during the career of Frankel and Black Caviar. And literally, when Frank, the year, the, the penultimate year of Frankel's career, there was still plenty of value in the races he was in. Of course, different style, type of horses, as we'll talk about, but Black Caviar, the same. Black Caviar was even, with, not evens, but two to nine and five on and six on and everything. A year later, same races, same conditions, same, same, more or less the same chance, and 104 and 105, and big Singapore punters were having this on and that on. And it literally changed massively in Australia in a, in a space of two years. I remember telling Paul that there was a horse called Denman, a flat horse, same name as mine. And it ran in a race and um, it was, and, and the price was, it was two to seven, one to three and two to seven for real big, big, real big money. And I said to Paul in two years time, if that race was run again, Denman will be eight on. And he thought I was mad. And two years later, he said, you were wrong about it being eight on, it'd be 10 on. And he's right. And now, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's not. And I stand, I stand, you know, you know. You look at you look at the price of all the skinny ones now. They're, they're, I guarantee you now, there's not a man alive betting short odds horses now, getting a game, getting a living at it. There's not one. There's not one person going around betting five and six on chances and making it pay. Not one. And there used to be plenty. And there used to be a few of the dogs. We used to, I used to go and bet. I used to love betting marathon dogs. It was the biggest turn on in my life. It still is betting short price marathon dogs. And I'd go all over the country doing it. And, um, but there was other people doing it as well. And um, you know, now, well, even now, with dogs, even with, if there is a bit of value with the, with the dogs and marathon dog now, they could possibly be on Betfair. 
but that that would be about it. There's, it, it, it. It's really the lowest. If that, that if there's one part of the market that's been sucked to death, it's the it's the it's the real it's the real short prices. That, that's that's for sure. And you mentioned uh, a very shrewd judge. They got it horribly wrong about Frankel. Oh, uh, oh, the call. No, that was the worst call of all time. Well, the great thing about Frankel was he was such a. Everyone knew what kind of temperament he had, even from um, the early days. Whereas she was the complete opposite. I mean, for me, for two horses to go unbeaten, it's just every horse gets beat. I looked in the history of Ajax, the great Australian horse, going back. That got beat. That only got beat once, one to fifty. Imagine what price that Ajax was that day. One to fifty in the old days. But even Ajax got beat. Nuriev, Shergar, every good horse gets beat. So how was it possible that exactly at the same time, different parts of the world, Frankel, a colt, and the mayor were both unbeaten for so long? And what's incredible, no one ever talks about this about the two horses is, every single time Black Caviar won, never ever once did she go odds against in running. I was there when she won a second ever race, stood with Carl Burke at Mooney Valley. And never once in any of her races did she go odds against? And yet, Frankel, I guarantee, in running, different type of horse, in most of his races, he'd have gone odds against. And um, who can ever forget the, that call from Jim McGrath in the Guineas when uh, it's the only race I can think of really that I wish I'd been there to see it when Frankel blitzed the Guineas from the thing and sat watching it at home. Well, the first thing you heard was Jim McGrath say, Well, he won't win many races running like that. And I'll just thought, how on earth could you watch Frankel do that in the Guineas? There's every single person on the race course, all their hair would have been stood up on the back of their neck. Then I'm not talking about after the race, I'm talking about halfway, when you know, oh my God, he's shitting. You know, we all had our doubts at five furlongs, at maybe at halfway, then all of a sudden you just knew, they ain't gonna get near him. And uh, I'll never forget that negative comment straight as across the line, I just thought, well, you know, and I, I think it's very important in gambling to be able to spot class very quickly whether it's Steve Davis, Federer, Johnny Higgins, Hendry. See, I served my apprenticeship at the snooker. And, um, you know, like little Johnny Higgins, I still speak to his brother now, I speak to John. I was in his seat when Celtic beat Rangers. And, um, you know, you bump into, I bumped into John when he was 13, 14. I mean, I got a lot of money out of John Higgins. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. First match he ever played was Gary Wilkinson. We all thought, what price is it going to be? What price is it going to be? And... Uh, uh, anyway, 11 to 4 he was, 11 to 4 to 2 to 1, and he won 5 3. But uh, I can't tell you how many people were at the snooker. I remember Ronnie's first game. When Ronnie O'Sullivan played John Parrott, it was Ronnie's first ever match at the assembly rooms, at the, at, not the assembly, no, not the, the hexagon at Reading. And the place was mobbed. Honestly, right up the back, everyone was there to see Ronnie play John Parrott. And do you know what? It was 5 to 6 each or 2, and I'm ashamed to say I can't remember who won. <laughs> now, when you talk, your enthusiasm for every sport, you can, it can just emanates from you. Yeah. But you were, we've talked about all the sports, but very little about what you were Harry the dog, weren't you? I mean, oh, tell us gosh. about your love of grounds and why. Well, uh, we go back to the book again, but the Big Fella Thanks chapter, I, I, I'd have just had that, just the Big Fella Thanks chapter. And, um, you know, if they make the, if people talk about a film, it's just a, the film about Big Fella Thanks was an ethereal experience. Um, because of the lads that died and the whole story. And um, we had Big Fella Thanks as a pet and he turned out as an older dog to be even more of a wondrous dog than he was in a coursing field. And he had a world record 31 courses. But um, 
I mean, the only reason I haven't got a retired dog yet now is because we lost it about six months ago in case full-time care at the moment or, or there'd be a dog here. And, you know, I, I can't explain how much I love. I was at Shelbourne Park Saturday night for the night at the Stars. I was in the restaurant, um, first three or four races and went outside to watch the fourth race. Outside, forget, don't watch them behind glass. And outside's the place, the place to watch dog racing. And just when you haven't seen them for a while and they go past you, you just think, what a sight, what a great sight. I'll never forget watching Valerie and Bob run his best ever race. Um, first race in an, in an A2, which was a top graded race. And um, I watched that behind glass. And they went past together and Valerie and Bob won, but beat Lulu's hero by a head. And I said to my brother, I said, I should have watched that outside. And Lulu's hero was a six bend dog and Valerie and Bob got in trouble. And he was like three and a half lengths behind him at the second bend. And I thought, we're a million. I wouldn't have backed Valerie and Bob at a million to one and he got up and won by a head. And it's funny, I read um, a piece from Floyd Amphlett's thing yesterday, and it was John Martin in the 19th, and he was slagging off Ballyregan Bob, saying he never ran against four Ben dogs. He never done, ran, never run in the derby, never did this. And he said, it's a disgrace that everyone's talking about his world record. Well, I ain't being funny. John, Mar John Martin must have been wearing Aidan O'Brien sunglasses with sheets on, because Ballyregan Bob, I've watched all the best in America, all the best in Australia, all the best in England and Ireland. Ballyregan Bob is the most all-round greyhound I've ever seen in my life. And how, how can you judge him? I mean, he, the way he beat Ballintubber won 475 at Walkerstow, but maybe he's 500 yards in a straight line against them all, I'd still have Ballyregan Bob. And the amazing thing about Ballyregan Bob is he stayed 800 metres, and he might even have stayed 820. And when you, when you look at the Australian racing now, and part of the reason why I'm not making them skinny ones pay is because... These six bend dogs, Australian dogs, they go over six bends and after two or three races, they've had enough. So if anything, Ballyregan Bob's, because the breeding, that Irish breeding, that Irish breeding is not there. And they get three or four times 650 metres, that's enough. But Ballyregan Bob, 30, 30 races over six bends. And amongst them, some freaky races at Romford, the whole thing. I just, I just, for someone to, I was just taken aback that John Martin could possibly be Valerie and Bob, so you don't need to ask who the best dog I've ever seen is. Um, you know who it is. Were, were you were you hooked the first time you went? Oh, the first racing? first race, first race, first what, race. What up. was it? What was it? That it was it was a graded race at Slough. First race at Slough on a Saturday night. Two hours before the race, I didn't know that Grand Racing existed. I'd been to Newbury my first day at the horses. They said, "Let's go at the dogs." They were public school boys from Slough. Clyde Birchmore and his mates. But you know. And uh, I said, dog racing, and they explained it. Because I'd never seen a greyhound. I'd never seen a whippet or a greyhound or a lurcher. I didn't know. And when they told me, and I sort of half didn't believe it, and I watched the first race at the third bend at Slough Dogs, and it was as if I'd been hit by an electric shock. And, um, no, it, it, and then I was at Wembley, 6 o'clock. When, when I heard that there was greyhound racing at Wembley Stadium, I thought they were taking the piss. And there was grass in those days. I was there, I said to the mate, Dylan, come on, we've got to get on the train. Straight from school, down the hill, half past four, train to Wembley, we were there knocking the door down. I walked all the way around at the track, I mesmerised, mesmerised. And I was a great, and I'm not being funny, I was a good judge. That's why Grand Race is so sellable, because you can become a good judge of the dogs in, in no time. When we, run, when we have Lifford, we're going to have the form, because everyone's going to know who's going to lead. But people know anyway, because the dogs are so reliable, they're so consistent. It's the only sport in the world that was made for gambling. And... Uh, we're going to turn the clock back like it used to be in the 20s and the 30s when it was a 6% takeout and the game was absolutely flying. 
If Ballyregan Bob had scored a low champ and been been around 30 years earlier, they'd have had to, they, I don't know what would have happened. They'd, they'd have been sold out if you know forever. And of course, my relationship with the great Don Cuddy before he died, me and Don Cuddy were like best people training my dogs and we, we you know we had some good dogs up on a golf course and um, we don't talk about the Larry stuff in the book but we used to we had Don, Donald Leahy with us and we'd have the dogs in trials and and I know I knew I knew didn't have long Don didn't have long and we had we were 15 minutes from Doncaster Airport and Leeds were playing at the Champions League at the time so if Leeds were at home we'd stay at home for the midweek and if Leeds were away we'd go and we'd get a Jet and go and watch the, the free matches Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in Europe and come back and Don was the, Don was the most. You take him anywhere and meet all the lads in Barcelona and everything, and he was just the most wonderful man to be around. He was a very tough dog man all his life, but in those last two two or three years, I, I got the very best of Don Cuddy, and um, they were really special times. Okay, Harry, you've t- you talked earlier about your partnerships with. Uh, you like to keep yourself surrounded by clever people. It does seem that some of the people that you've uh, been very successful with would be unlikely people for you to sort of get on with. So look, Tony Bloom and Paul Barber would be would appear to be sort of the polar opposite of you personality-wise, at least. How yeah. these these um, things have worked? Yeah, well, Tony, um, Tony, Tony, I met him at the. Um, well, I met him. I'd seen. I met him before in betting shops in Brighton, and he just—he's a little punter. So we're always going to get on with punter with punters, and um, you know, he, he always had so much sort of character about him, and so much sort of spunk, for want of a better word, that he was always a little likable fellow anyway. So um, we are a bit different. He's a bit quieter than me, but we both learned a lot from each other, and in a lot of good ways. So that was that was a, that was pretty good, really. And you know, obviously, I played a part in the start of what become Star Lizard and everything, which is, everyone gets a little bit of cake, it's a, it's a fine operation. Um, I'd say on a personal level, I'd say I, I don't see that much difference between me and Barbara, we're different in, in, in lot, yeah, I suppose we are different in a lot of ways, but, you know, I, I really was, I really like Paul Barber, and I miss Paul Barber, and, you know, I spoke to him the other day, funny enough, and um, um, we can have a bit of lunch in Taunton next time there's a meeting in Taunton, but, uh, I'd say when when the, when all this happened with the horses, there was a bad taste with the everyone was getting you know would come back later. But um, it was a shame because he was the one the one thing I missed, and I got on well with Paul's wife as well, Marianne. So um, you know I, I, I really that was a big part of the you know whenever I used to go down to St Nicholas to see the horses, I'd and I'd, I'd stay the night with Paul and Marianne, and Marianne's breakfast was I think was, you know was legendary. So you know I. I I don't. I didn't miss the racing or the owning of horses that much, really. They were mum's horses, but I didn't miss the people. Same with the sales. I I find horse people infectious. I find them, you know. I really found a lot of the people at the sales uh, company, you know, you know, quite infectious. I quite enjoy. I enjoyed it, and um, you know, I enjoyed Mick, I enjoyed Mick Channing's company, and I enjoyed, you know, I had a lot of good times. You know, I think that was part of the part of the attraction of it all, really, and. You know, it was it was good fun. Yeah, no, we talked. We, when we when I was trying to persuade you for ages and ages to do this, you said you wanted it to be positive. So we, but we can't really talk without mentioning the BHA and the brief warning off. I mean, first of all, it appears they were after you. So why do you think that was? Well, I wouldn't. I'd, it's the biggest mystery of my life. Um, 
you know, you have to ask Paul Roy that. Um, I mean, uh, I did have ambitions at the time. I was working to get involved with the Irish tote, and he was involved in the bid for the English tote. But really, really, I, I, I don't know. Is um, you know, I, I know you you spoke to Mark Phillips, so you know the. I mean, the, the BHA lost so many good people. There was so many crooked old Bill Wright doing things. I mean, it was just such a heavy thing. But you take on a powerful. You know, he is. Oliver Covington said to me, he um, he uh, he left. He was he was a real top man that worked for the BHA, and he left over it. And he said, if you take on the king, you know, make sure you don't miss. And uh, I'm, I'm arguably missed, but boy, I took him on with everything I've got. And um, you know, there was a lot of things that went on that people didn't know about, and we didn't read and write about. But um, I don't think the book would have happened if I told Neil Armour what happened and. Because I didn't know why I didn't want to write the book because at the time I was Billy Potless and my head was scrambled after commentary. I couldn't even get out of bed in the morning and people were saying, write a book. I said, leave me out. But um, Neil Harmon did a very clever thing. He, he went to see Philip Davis, the MP, who's a good man. And um, um, William Haggis introduced me to him, funnily enough, with regard to the tote. I was always, this is what I'm so pleased with Alec Frost is trying to do. I was trying to do it myself. 10 years ago, Jamie Hart, who I'm now working with, was trying to do it, you know, as he did it at school, at university dissertation, whatever it's called, ground racing, low margin model. So um, it, that, was, that was how I met Philip Davis 10 years ago, but Neil Harmon very cleverly went to see Philip Davis without me knowing about it and said, is this all true? la di da di da di da da And Philip Davis said, oh yeah. And that was it. And Neil said, yeah, I want to write this book. But um, now that you know, you spoke to Mark Phillips, so you don't need to know no more. But another thing Oliver Cobden just said was, he said, Harry, he said, I know you're on a crusade. He said, he said, and he said, people who are on a crusade, he said, tend to get killed. <laughs> and he was almost right with that. He was almost right with that. At times, I wondered why well, they didn't finish me off. But uh, no, to to find out a few, three or four years later that Alex Frost is trying to run a low margin tote on. The Nottingham Greyhound Derby was, and then I heard Jamie Hart was involved in it, and now the young the young kid who does all the the maths and the code. These you, you talk about being surrounded by shrewd people. These are the these are the shrewdest people I know, and oh, I really believe that that we can. You know, it's so important for racing. It's so important for gambling, especially Irish racing. They need you know they just need a massive. They need a ten percent tote in the pubs, in the hotels handhold machines, money goes directly to the government and to racing itself. Cut out the paddy powers. You've got Stuart Kenny saying, that, oh, I shouldn't have done it, I've got a conscience and all that. Leave us out. Leave us out with paddy power. Don't have the paddy powers in the Labbrooks and the car parks outside the black cows, outside the horse and jockey. Have a handheld monitor inside the pub. Everyone's telling us it's going to be a cashless society. Get out your red credit card, two roast dinners, a tenner on the jackpot, four quid on trap two, and three pints of Guinness. It's the future. And if you cut out the middleman, Denise Coates paying herself 40 million a year and won't spend 30 quid on shoes. Paying Ray Winston 13 million to do adverts and talk about something he knows nothing about. Cut all that out. Let's give it back to racing. 6.6% per horse now. It was 20% 18 months ago. And not only that, I predicted it. Now, now, now the landscape's changed. Now, 
no rebaters get more than the man in the street because the man in the street gets plus 10% and they get 11. And they got far about with all that code and stuff. Whereas you can just do it on your toe dot, press the buttons, wait till the last minute. And that's where the, that's, that's the intrigue of gambling for me. It's, it's about winning. It's, it's, it's about winning. It's, when I go to bed at night, I'm always thinking about the edge. Where, where is the edge? I know it sounds silly, like there's all that big racing Saturday. We've done our bollock, we've done our money on most things Saturday. But I knew there was a little two grand rollover in Ireland, and I knew there was only going to be about another 300, 400 quid go in it. And where the best value is, all my football was from Tommy Bradley. Tommy Bradley was a bookmaker in, in the same shipyards in Govan and Alex Ferguson. And Tommy Bradley was known as the best football judge in Britain for 30 years. I worked with him for 30 years. And when Tony Bloom started the algorithms, when Tony Bloom started the algorithms, he was the one he come to. He said, Harry, that's why Tony come to me. He obviously knew I was bloody good, but he knew I had Tommy. Tony Bloom knew that I brought Tommy with me. So he had his three anchors for his thing. And Tommy Bradley could have £10,000 on Celtic at 11 or 10. £10,000 at 11 or 10, because he makes them 8 to 11. But if he managed to get 4 to 1, about a 6 to 4 chance in one of them machines and have 30 quid on, that's much more, that means 10 times more to win. Those little, little fish, those little swisher feet, uh, whatever it is, little fish are sweet for Tommy Bradley. That may, and that's, that's how, when you have to win, and we, we, at the moment, we all have to win at the moment, that's where your priority lies, where you know you've got the biggest edge. It might only be, you know, I laid out on the Sunday, I laid out 134 quid, no, I laid out 149 quid and got back 834. But I knew when I put the 100 quid on, I knew it was worth nearly double that. And how often do you feel that when you have a bet? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. So there's always little places, but you want to be in the right place at the right time. And, and the, great, the great thing about the tote is that they're already partners with Sweden. So we're going to be... You, Hong Kong. In Hong Kong now... The other day, I got told to back a horse in Hong Kong. 16 to 1 chance. So I had to have a little bit on it and got beat. But I had to be on, because if you miss a 16 to 1 winner, you're in the nut house. But you can't get on. So I rushed onto my tote account... Add 150 quid on that, but not only that, in Hong Kong, you get Hong Kong price plus 10%. Everything's plus 10%. I feel like, I feel like it's like Betfair again now. I should be getting paid as a spokesman, but you have to tell the punters where the value is. And the good thing about Betfair now is you have got the capacity, to, everyone's got the capacity to bet for two pence. And the difference that makes on, the difference it makes, if you're a taxi driver and you put, not taxi driver, anyone, if you're, whatever you do and you're not full-time punter and you want to punt, if you put your £100 in Betfair on a Friday night to bet on all the sport over the weekend, remember, betting smaller is always easier than betting big. So you've got an advantage over everyone else, even the Lizards, the Benhams, all the geniuses. Your advantage is you're betting small, but you must press that button that makes you 2%. Forget about the special offers and all this and all that and playing at 5%. You have to find the 2% button and you always have to play at 2% because it's... If, you put, if you're betting small and you're paying 2%, it's easy to win. If you're playing with the special offers and getting 5%, you're a million to one to win over a period of time. That's just simple maths. But the fact is, if you're asking where you're playing now, you've got to play where the value is. And um, we all have a rollover. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting you mentioned the total. Obviously, you're, you're very... Um... You're very keen on it because you're sorted all out, but wouldn't that would have been a nightmare for you if the dogs had all been a tote back in your back in your hand? Oh, it would have been. I mean, this is the whole thing. 
I'm, I, can, I can't believe it. It doesn't seem right advocating the tokes money because previously it was everyone was brought up with the same thing. You can't bet on the tokes. This, but you know, to be fair, what's happened? I don't think it might have COVID, whatever, cutting the cutting Jelko's throat with the rebate. I, I don't know, but that, that's what's happened. And the, the fact of the matter is, suddenly it's a massive option for punters. And the thing is, the, the benefits aside, it are much better. And that's why, you know, you know, I wouldn't. I feel, I feel afterwards when I plug Betfair that, you know, you shouldn't be plugging Betfair and that. But the fact of the matter is, there's world pools now. Every race at that last, where they have world pool days, 20 days a year, I see it advertised, but punters aren't talking about it enough. The maximum percentage was 103. There was three races that were overbroke. So if you've got a tow account, a Betfair account, you're betting to zero. And that, that's what I even mentioned in the swingers. All the Hong Kong players are playing massive on the swingers. This is what... This is what I've been telling punters for two years. If people said to me, what would you do? And I'll tell it now. If someone said, what would you do now? I'd say, I'd concentrate on swingers. You have to pick any two of the first three. But as it stands, until the, whole, until the British pool takes off, it's going to be swamped with these Hong Kong swingers money. I guarantee you now, two years ago, Jelco must have thought the big syndicates were getting it all. But now it's a level playing field. All the small punters should be doing it. Look for, look for strong finishes. That's what I've been doing yeah. on the World Pool days. I look for strong finishes. And bigger price and put them in swingers because it's a, that's where the that's where the there's people ask you ask me about finding an edge that's where there's most edges at the moment I suppose that's why I'm singing their praises so much but the fact of the matter is that even when they level out the fact of the matter is the margins there to make it to make it playable so do you think the fact that, that nobody can get a bet anymore is going to play into the favour of your total idea because punters will go there I think bookmakers are. are actually cutting their own throats while doing oh that. I think I think I honestly think at Cheltenham this year it'll be a revelation I, if anyone wants to lay me evens that the to- I will take evens now that the tote turns over three times more money on the wind pools at Cheltenham this year than they did last year three times more money because you know why Every, in the last two weeks it's taken because the Brit bet deal Brit better on course so the tote were actually on course it took Jamie Hart a couple of years I think to talk in the tote to talk on course into going SP guaranteed. So now if you have a bet, if you have a bet with the tote now, you get paid SP or the tote price plus 10%. It averages out at 6% per horse, but they couldn't get it to happen on course. Two or three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think, they've done it on course. So now on course at Newton Abbott, down the road, any race course in Britain, if you bet on the tote, 50 quid, 100 quid, 1,000 quid, you get paid SP, tote or tote or tote plus. So therefore, in the last two weeks already, they have taken double the normal big bet size. Well, I say Cheltenham next year, their takeover will, will treble on the wind pool because you'll have people in queues everywhere. There's tote windows. In the past, they've thought, how can I bet on the tote? It's 119%. It's going to be worse than SP. And now, the whole crowd, especially if I keep doing this, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be ringing up Alice asking for a check after this. But the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, if you're there in a queue getting a burger, there's a tote window, and you want £100 with a 9 to 2 chance, you're seven on to get better than if you run around. Because then you've got to rush to the bookies, dive through, you know what I mean? And, and so I think it's going to be, honestly, hand on my heart, I think it's going to be a revelation. All right, Harry. Um, I must admit, I did ask a few fellow professional punters if they had any questions for you before I come to do this uh, interview. And one of them was very serious. I won't say where it comes from, but he's a, a very shrewd dog person. Do you still turn left? on every aeroplane you get on? Um, well, I don't get on many aeroplanes now. Uh, so, so is everyone else. 
Well, yes, because, um, well, only, not only long haul, um, I've only ever twice not flown long, uh, turned left long haul, and that is, uh, well, business is fine, but economy, no. We flew economy, there was about 20 of us, went to Hong Kong for a three-day punt up. Tony Bloom was there, Nigel Trough, good bunch of lads, and uh, it was just murder. I couldn't cope I couldn't cope with it at all. And there's a room, in, in those days, you could smoke on the plane. So there was a smoker's room, so everyone ended up playing cards in there. As I said, I'm not a card player. So the, the, that, what, that one time I went economy, it was terrible. And when I arrived in Hong Kong, I'd already done all my money before I landed. And then about four years ago, when I was recovering and flew over on my own, I went business. I had a bit of leg, I had the leg room seat, not business, I had the economy with the leg room, and that was it. But I remember being at Canterbury. I arrived, I arrived that morning and I was crippled, and that night, we went to Canterbury Races and we pulled up Canterbury Races on a Friday night in Sydney, lovely. And Paul's, Paul's pulled up. He's never got a flash motor, Paul, just a little motor. And we're getting out of the car. I couldn't even get out of the car. I was literally, had to, Paul had to help me get out of the car at Canterbury Races on the Friday night. And I said then, I said, if I ever, ever do a long haul, not business class or better, I said, I will shoot myself. So uh, if I'm long haul, I'm ne I'll always be turning left. But uh, like I say at the moment, um, not... Uh, not, 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 not a lot of flights to be getting on at the moment. Well, some flights you'll be getting on will be short haul to uh, Ireland because you've this sort of breaking news, isn't it? You bought Lifford Dog Track. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that, uh, yeah, that's been. We, we were there again last week and we finally paid for it. Now we've finally got it sorted. It's been been a year. It's been a year of a stressful year, but uh, especially with COVID and everything. But we wouldn't have been if we'd have been open now. It wouldn't have been any. You know, there's still a lot of stuff going on. But hopefully be March the 6th, it will be March uh, next year. And yeah, massively exciting because uh, it's such a great track. There's an interview out there, I think on uh, YouTube of me talking to Tracy Piggott 20 odd years ago, describing it as the best track in Ireland and how fantastic it is. So um, literally I heard about the, the Alex Frost trying to get the 10% tote on, on, the, on the English Greyhound Derby and uh, knocked on his door and said, if you, guarantee the 10% I'll go and, I'll go and find a tr I'll go and buy a track and um, that's how it happened really I went to see the Duffies who have sold it to him and they did a very very fair price and now we've got a fantastic ascendant together racehorse trainers greyhound trainers all different types of people from all walks of life in a, in a 25 strong syndicate and um, can't wait we're going to have a, like I say 10% takeout on course um, the GRI been great with us giving us a license they described our ideas as innovative and um, it's a great free ride for everyone involved because with all the other tracks in Ireland taking out 25% in England they take out between 30 and 33 and I believe that this has been the real cancer in the sport the real devil that's destroyed the, destroyed the game because ultimately most people if you're a greyhound fanatic or you own dogs or train you're going to come every week but I think the one-off punters, the groups of 12 that come with the dogs that are sick and tired of losing, playing on the toe and never winning. And I think for four decades, the sport thrived with a 6% toe. And um, funny enough, I think Alex Frost originally wanted to go to 6%, but the government, the Irish government, says you can't have less than 10 and you can't have more than 25. And ironically, I think that grand racing in Ireland has been saved by the government who put that 25% limit because I think they would have followed the English route and gone to 30 and I think that would have would have, 
would have been even made the Irish Grand Racing situation a lot worse, where we're going to turn the clock back 50 years and reverse it in a, in a, in a, in a fantastic track with the right people, surrounded by dog people, 1,500 dogs on the ground, the real northwest of Ireland. Um, I really, it's a real, it's a, it's, it gives me a chance to put Coventry right, to show it works, and to, to have tote as a back in the prize money, back in the model. You know, it's, 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 re it's really exciting. And dare I ask, are you going to allow racehorse bookies? Oh, without a question. Without a question. I remember Pascal Taggart, when he was trying to get Wimbledon, and he was saying he was going to have this tote, and not particularly low margin, but he was going to have tote only and no bookmakers. Oh, you have to have bookmakers. Bookmakers, uh, first time I went horse racing, I didn't know about it. I was anti-horse racing. Not anti-horse racing, but uh, I was brought up as a football fanatic, and when Football Focus finished, John Rickman come on with his pie hat, and I thought, why aren't we watching football rather than bloody horse racing? And um, so, you know, I was anti horse when I, But when I first went to Newbury, it, I brought back all the tickets. I remember bringing all the tickets back to my mum, all the coloured tickets saying, Mum, I, I knew my life had changed. I knew that night. I went to Slayer Dogs that night. I come back and I said, Mum, I'm, I'm changed. And I, I was changed. And that's part of the bookies of the characters, aren't they? You, you know, I was brought up on Hackney. But they all talk about the Hackney Wick. I, I was there when it was... You know, the best buckle I've ever seen. People, the best coursing buckle, obviously, is Big Fella Thanks and Toy Razor. But the best track buckle I ever saw was Wired to Moon and Ballandry Moth, who just won the just won the Oaks at Harringay. And uh, they were in the heats of the Guineas at Hackney. And they were like 8 to 11, 4 to 5 and 11 to 10. And the crowd there, half the crowd was on Wired to Moon, half the crowd was on Ballandry Moth, a fawn dog and a black dog. Oh, my. They had a war. And uh, Wired to Moon, Wired to Moon beat her three quarters of a length. And those days, those Saturday mornings, you see the pictures now and what it was like. But uh, I was, I was, I was brought up on that. And uh, it's funny you mention that because we were, we were at Shelbourne Saturday night, and people say, "Well, if it's such a great track," but in Shelbourne, of course, Saturday night had all the great dogs. They had all the it was the night of the stars, so the best marathon dogs, the best things, the best thing. But we want to, we don't race on Saturday nights. We're going to race on Fridays and Sundays, and we want to embrace Shelbourne. Shelbourne's the sort of thing you can put in Hong Kong. You can get Shelbourne Park live in all the all the all the tracks, all the American dog tracks now. Um, I went to I went to every single one last year in Florida. The ones that were still open and the ones that had closed, but they're all closed now. That's why I went to see them all. But they've all got the poker rooms. So why can't then three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon? Why can't we? We'll give them our algorithms. We'll give them the Shelbourne Park algorithms. Why can't it be like? And then it'll be Sunday morning in Australia. We need to get that Shelbourne Park. Shelbourne Park Derby heats and that Greyhound Derby competition need to be seen around the world. Now, Lifford, we don't want to be, we can't compete with Shelbourne Park, these superstars, but we want to be like Hackney Wick. That's what I want. I want, I want our graded racing to be like Hackney Wick was in the 80s, where everyone knew who was going to lead, everyone knew who was going to finish, and everyone knew what price every dog was. I used to leave it to get the Hackney Wick, I used to have to get the 6.30 milk train into London. And... I, I, I knew, I, you knew what every price, every dog you found at Hackney Wick, you knew you were going to get five to two, 11 to four, or you, could, you know, and that's what it's all about. And that's, that's the model we're looking for at, uh, at Lifford, like, like the Hackney model. Hackney model, Hackney, Hackney was, uh, some of my, 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 the best dogs I loved at Hackney were all graded dogs, same as all of us. And I'd like to, I'd love to think we could, uh, I tried to do it at Coventry, but we stopped. And um, now, now we've got real support from, Great, and there's so many great people over there that are working over there, volunteers. We're ready to go. The sand's laid. We could race on Saturday. So, 
um, if we had the power on. <laughs> so um, no, it's uh, it's exciting times and great for punters, and that's the dream to turn Lifford into the next Hackney Wick uh, ASAP. And of course, there's a 16 million pound stand that was built in 2014. So if it does become the next Hackney Wick, the infrastructure is already there. So you're going to be relocating to Ireland? No, no, I'm afraid that. Uh, when we first started talking about it just over a year ago, my wife, who's just a legend, is you know, everyone knows I'm the luckiest punter in the world, and really without her I'd be a million, because she never asked the question why, no matter how bad. She never ever says, Why did you do that? or you know, so we all know for a gambler that's just the thing. And she's always right when she does lay the law down or make anything. And when it when we first started saying, she said, Yeah, that's the that's the job at you said, Harry, if you do it, you do it, but you know, you can't, you've got to, you know, my job is to, to further it. We've I managed to put the Lifford deal together and the people who are doing it, we're going to take it, are going to be fantastic. But I'd like to think we can go and find, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more about the betting model. I'm more about my final, my ambition is to take that Lifford 10% model and get it in the, like I said to you earlier, get it in the pubs, get it in, get Lifford in the pubs in Ireland, get Lifford in and, and, and have a 10% tote and have the horses as well. And I think that the, I always thought that the, that the, that the Irish tote, horse tote would be ideal for, for, to test things and to see how, see how the low, model, low margin works. And I think when punters realise they're getting the better odds and where the money's going to, I think it's going to be, and the way the, the world is with a cashless society, I think, it's a, I think it's what they call a perfect storm. Okay, now we're coming to the end of this interview, Harry. Now, we've been all positive. Your gambling life has been a roller coaster and owning horses one minute you were at the pinnacle winning at Cheltenham the next minute you were warned off and other big, yeah. big bets you've had so you've been up and you've been down about as far as you can yeah, go yeah we managed to do an interview for over an hour without mentioning the All Blacks which is well, the first time ever so that's 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 that's, uh, that's, well, a, that's, that's a, one of the examples but, you, but <laughs> it's safe to say that you've known the absolute heights and you've known the absolute lows now how have you managed to mentally bounce back every single time from those massive extremes? Well, now now I'm 60 and I've been wronged or I was a few, I don't know how I did it. Um, Cause I find it a lot tougher now. I find, and I find personal mistakes. If you do the wrong thing, you know, I, I play the correct scores on the football. If I forget to say when I, you know, um, I, f I find making mistakes now, I'm all tortured. I'm harder on myself than ever. And, but I, I actually honestly think that how good a loser you are, um, affects you know and if you're about if you're if you're if you are starting from a young age if you're a bad loser you're in trouble really you really it really is about it's always about how you control yourself when you when you're losing that, that makes a difference between winning and losing and now more than ever um when you short when you know you we obviously spend a lot of money and there ain't that, that, that much money around you you're never going to lose control because when you are out of form you play a bit smaller, which is more than ever as well. And by the same token, when you, you know, Glenn's always been like that. We're different types of gamblers, Glenn, and we help each other in different ways. Him more than me, I'd say, in, certainly in recent times. But, um, you know, either way, the philosophy is that when you're in for, when things are going your way, just have that bit more on, you know. And we've been out for the last few days, and last night we had a good bet on that horse. It got beat. But... You know, if we'd have gone the other route of saying, look, we're out of form, listen, smash away out of trouble, we'd have been in the shit house again. So you're always right to, because I know we had a big bet on that horse last night, really, it should have been more what we what we thought and what we, you know, our opinion. So it's always right to just be a bit more careful when you're out of form, try, you know, 
and um, and and then I walked straight into <laughs> straight into Porto, draw no bet. You go to bed, you used to go to bed crestfallen. See, like like you, st you talk about age difference. After that, I was in bed. Now, no chance of me missing the cricket if normally. If I'd have been, you know, if Porto had won a bigger one, I'd have been up watching the first hour and after cricket and first first ball out, I'd have been better. So, you know, you, you, it does affect you. It does affect your mood a lot more when you're older. But it's like everything you do, you have to allow for all the. Like I think in gambling all the way. I, I know what my weaknesses are. You know, I know I like a skinny one. I know I like a front runner. I know I, I know all the things that I that I like and I don't like. So you, I think that consciously when you're saying, shall I take that 2-1-4, you allow for all that, you know? And, um, you know, that's that's that's, that's basically um, that how I'd relate to, to that. And staking's obviously massively important. And, but we all, we know in advance what we're going to do roughly, 400 on that, 300 on that. So, so whether you win or lose, that won't really change, bar that small percentage of depending on how you're going. Right, now you, you've had a, well, you're still living an amazing life which well, no one is at the moment, and that's well, that's why I don't mind being skinned. Or <laughs> but, you've done, but you've done amazing things on the back of well, purely for gambling and for only who've been involved yeah, in yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Is there ever going to be a day where you think I oh, just have a nice, peaceful life now no. and turn it in? No, it can't be because just say today there's no there's no horse bets today. Funny enough, this afternoon, a couple of small bets tonight, I think. But say there's no horse bets today, which there isn't, fine, I'm all right. I, don't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't honestly tell you what horse meeting is on. But if I got a text and it said, we've had 600 quid on this at six to four, and, it, and I walk in and I find out it's a free bowl novice chase, I'm delighted. <laughs> so if you're asking me if I'm ever going to have a day when I'd rather have a text saying no bet or 600 quid on the novice chase, I'd always want to have. I can't believe, you talk like, I can't believe, and Frank mentioned this the other day and I pissed myself, he said, it's not like the old days with the novice chasers. I used to go, I'd think nothing of going, I'd think nothing of having two and a half grand. I could have two and a half grand in the world as a 21 year old and go to a race course and have 2,400 pounds on a horse at four or six. If I thought it should have been two to five. Couldn't help myself. And I'd, I'd not even think about it falling. I'd, I'd just be so confident, so bombastic. I mean, unless it falls, it can't get beat. And I used to say that as well. And But in those days, you used to get. You know, I mean, I go back to the story of Dramatist. I've got eight to 13 Dramatist, first time out in a two and a half mile novice chase. I mean, you would have had to have a bulldozer to get that. That would be now one to six. So in those days, you could do it anyway. But even now, I couldn't, I used to be so fearless in novice chases, and Frank says, not anymore. That if I have, if I bet a novice chase a lumpy now, I literally ship, well, not ship myself, but it's nothing like what it was when I was a kid, nothing like it. Well, let's hope when you turn that phone back on, you've not missed a 33 to 1 winner. No, 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 I know. There's no, there's no chance of that. There's no chance of that. Anyway, Harry, I really appreciate you, uh, you talking to us. Harry Fitley, thank you very much. Cheers. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.